This meeting is being recorded. Yeah, that's a good DP. That was the best sound effect yet. I might have to pump it into future episodes. <laughs> so, uh, this is funny, actually, because years and years ago, first time I ever came to Oregon, okay, in my late teens, and I was, the, I was like so obsessed with Dr. Pepper back in those days and about like, I would, I would actually carry Dr. Pepper from like my hometown bottling company uh, because I, it, it's all about the water. It's about the local water source. Dr. Pepper uses the local water source to make their Dr. Pepper. So Dr. Pepper tastes different throughout the country. And I was hardcore into really the Portales, New Mexico bottling plant, right? And I would travel with it rather than, you know, get some sub <laughs> subpar fucking Dr. Pepper. And anyway, we came, buddy of mine and I came to Oregon and it was delicious. <laughs> and so. <laughs> Gotta be open I'm, to new experiences, huh? I'm drinking a, 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 now the funny thing is they changed the whole goddamn thing. It used to be the cans said which exact bottler they came from and uh, about, 15 or 18 years ago, they changed it to just a blanket member of the Dr. Pepper. So you don't, you don't really know, but I'm drinking that good shit today up here in Oregon on the coast. Fucking love it. You and Dino out traveling the real America. We're looking for the real America. And um, so far, uh, we can tell you that we are underdressed for uh, our search of the real America. It's, it's very cold. And we... Uh, we weren't really prepared for some of that. West Coast, baby. Let's go. All sunshine. <laughs> it's uh, also, um, we're here on the beautiful central Oregon coast. And um, Dino actually asked today what I thought the average age of the inhabitants of this town are. And uh, I said, you know, dead. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's very old up here. I think that's the correct answer to every location on earth. <laughs> well, I'm just, just a lot of people lived there before and now they're dead. On average, most of those people in that town are dead. All threes is just a straight shooter. I'm just telling it like it is. Love it. But we're we're looking, we're looking for the real America. We're um got another couple of days up here and then we're headed to to Las Vegas. And Ratro swears that he's gonna show Dino the real America. Oh, he's gonna show him something. That's for sure. Yeah. So um, it's good though. It's uh, like I said, it's a little, little cold, uh, a little cloudy, uh, which makes for some uh, not so perfect painting conditions. <laughs> and I didn't bring any artificial lights. So uh, yeah, I've got like a, here on the coast, I've got a very small window about uh, 12, 15 PM to about 12, 18 there's enough sun for me to paint. And then you bring in the other son, Dino, to hold the flashlight while you paint oh, in the God, dark. Yes. He's, he's doing such amazing work. Of course, we know this. The Grotto knows that Dino is, uh, is quite the, the helper. Um, and and uh, it's just nice. It's nice to travel. We're having, we're having a really great time. We, had, we, had, uh, we saw I Need Beer on Monday in Oakland. Uh, had a, a wonderful uh, dinner with I Need Beer. First time that Dino met I Need Beer because Beer didn't come to to uh, New York this year. 
Um, so it's good. And we'll see Ratro and who knows who else down in Vegas and, and then on to Chicago to see Bono and probably see Illy Chai stuff. Nice. So not exactly. This is not like a grotto road trip. This is just, you know, searching for the real America. Uh, and if we happen to be near, near somebody, then we'll, uh, we'll check in, you know, but, um, as a result, what we're going to do this week, you know, Kitsch uh, just finally, finally shut down wedding season. Weddings are over. Palm Springs was a blast. I wouldn't go back there because I can't afford it. Yeah, I Palm Springs is, uh, you got to make that that ferocious money. To yeah, you got to be like the emerging artist on the scene, you know? Yeah, I, I, I would imagine that ferocious and Drift and Fuck Render have a place in Palm Springs. And the weekend plays there. He has a residency. He does. Yeah, exactly. I've heard a lot about that. A um, little special shout out uh, to Kristoff and uh, Neil King Jones, who are doing, uh, you know, as usual, a lot of amazing work at NFT uh, London this week. Um, Kristoff's already uh, putting in effort of, of spreading the word of threesomes. Um, he was talking with Trevor Jones about me today. <laughs> Oh, fun. Um, we'll see see what shakes out there. <laughs> Castle, Grotto, imminent. It's happening. Who, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But it was funny because I, I woke up to see Trevor Jones followed you on Twitter. And I was like, I even DM'd Crouton. And I go, I'll bet you anything. I'll put all my money that that's Kristoff. <laughs> it's like talking to Trevor Jones. He's rubbing shoulders. <laughs> So, um, but because we, you know, we're, 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 we're out and about and Kitsch has been gone and, and everybody's just sort of out there uh, spreading the word. I thought it'd be a good time for us. And, and given that the, the article came out about two weeks ago, but we sort of showed it to the grotto last week for the first time. But there was an article uh, that came out in Culture 3. I don't know if it's Culture 3 or Culture-y. I mean, no. it's perfect for you, right? Do they throw the E out for the three? Uh, well, no, they don't take the yeah, the, the it's culture and three. Ugh, you gotta but talk I think about it marketing be, team. I think it might be culture Okay, I think I don't know. <laughs> is it three uh, for Web three? I don't. I, you know what? I still don't even know what Web three is. I don't. I'm, I don't know what Web two is. I'm still. I thought we just had the World Wide Web, and I was okay with that. I was. I was good at crawling. <laughs> we'll be on the real American web soon. Um, but we did this. I did this interview, and it came out as an article. And um, one thing we learn every time there's an article on me or the project is that it's really hard to tell, tell the story of threesomes in 1,500 words. Um, it's really hard. And it's, there's, uh, as those of you who, who know the project well, of course, and those that are getting to know the project, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to learn. Uh, and so I thought it would be great if we played the actual interview um, that Steph Conkel did with me. I, I thought it was a really good interview. Um, it's one of the rare occasions where, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily a public appearance, right? even though I knew I was doing it for this, this article, but I was not in persona. Um, I mean, I threesome certainly, 
I am three sirs, right? But um, I really was speaking from the standpoint of the artist's three sirs. Certainly not from from threesies or or anything like that, right? And so it's a it's a time where you get to hear me really talk about process and the art. It's it's entirely art focused um, in ways that that I don't know that the grotto has really heard me speak before. So I thought it'd be good. I thought it'd be a, a good thing for us to do. You haven't even heard it yet. You're you're going to listen to it as you throw it up. But it's um, I listened to it last weekend while I was painting while I was down in San Francisco. By the way, in San Francisco, we had a great little apartment in the mission. I mean, so light filled. I mean, I, yeah, I would, I would hang there all day long. I became friends with the, the guy that, that had it listed on Airbnb and I can now, you know, just anytime I want to go be there for a while, skip the Airbnb part of it, you know, big discount and everything. So it was the light filled and in a great little neighborhood and Dino and I walked all over. So, um, but I, I was listening to this article and it's, um, I really think it's, or not this article, but this interview, but I think it's, it's just what we need. And so given that, you know, not much has happened. I mean, really nothing of note at all has happened in the grotto this week. Um, it would be good for us to, to just sort of, you know, revisit something, but it's visiting something that's completely fresh and new to all of you. So this is me and Steph, Steph Kunkel uh, from Culture 3. Uh, and we're trusting Kitsch to, to make this uh, techno, technically seamless and, and bringing in this, this great interview. But uh, that's that. I so. hope so. And it's very fitting. This is episode 33. Exactly. This is, 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 is we got a and we'll we'll uh, we'll let you listen to the, the interview and then we'll we'll quick uh, wrap it up uh, and put a bow on the episode. But uh, enjoy this interview, please. It's it's a good one, and I think this might be one of those that we we share with all sorts of uh, new people, the way we used to share the Creator Ranch video. So, thanks. Threesomes, lowercase t, right, and threes for the e's. And you're currently in New York, right? I am, yeah. I uh, live here in Brooklyn most of the time. Most of the time? Mm-hmm. We travel a lot? I do travel a lot for, for the project, and um, I've got I've got a place down in the desert southwest. Can you provide me some background information about yourself? Just how did you grow up? How did you get into, into art and into the space? Uh, to a degree. I, I don't talk in specifics about my past, right? Yeah, no problem. Um, but I, I, I grew up in a, in, in sort of a strange mountain isolation as a kid, um, literally in the mountains, no running water or electricity on horseback type of lifestyle. Um, and as a result, I didn't have, there were no, I was far removed from any other neighbors or neighboring houses or things like that. And so I grew up very much, um, sort of in the world of books and, and, you know, my own imagination. Um, and it's, it's one of the things that, that, that is sort of the cornerstone of this project is, is the, the imaginary baseball league that I conceived of, uh, as a nine-year-old. So, um, but I grew up in the, in the desert Southwest, uh, of the United States and eventually became, uh, a baseball player. And spent uh, a good chunk of my young adulthood playing baseball. Then I, you know, 
I ventured out into the world when my baseball career ended, and um, late in life came to, to start painting. Didn't really consider myself uh, a working artist until I became an NFT artist. And so how did you kind of make that transition from, um, like, into the NFT space and into the Web3 space? What was that process like for you? Uh, quite honestly, I I had imagined coming in in a different, um, in a different role. Mm-hmm. I thought perhaps I would I would start a platform, um, and so I decided to take a few months to really understand the space and and dive into it. And um, during all of that, I, I came to understand a little more of, of sort of the the hierarchy of things and and the lay of the land, and really felt that <clears throat> what I discovered was a, 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 a space or an environment that actually played very well into the project that I'd been painting for a while. Uh, which is threesomes, and so I decided rather than than go about, you know, putting all sorts of money, time, and resources at a time in my life where I was already sort of retiring from from my my previous life. Okay. Right. Um, and so I decided that that actually entering the space as an artist uh, and and bringing this project to life was made the most sense, and so uh, I left my my corporate gig in April of last year with the idea that I was going to become a famous NFT artist. That's awesome. That's a really interesting transition. And I could definitely see um, with your work that you, I feel like already established a plan um, and a project going into the space, it seemed like, and researching the space. Yeah. Um, as, very I've, I've very seen much. some artists just kind of like piecemeal, like, um, try things out and I think that that like that cohesion and it just makes your your brand and all of your projects so established and eye-catching like anything that you have is um you know that it's threesomes I appreciate that and 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 not so much in in the sense of of establishing a brand but I a lot of people don't realize certainly anybody outside of the project right Mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't realize that that the, the story that I'm telling here the the broader narrative is really developed and really flushed out. There's, I, this isn't a true art project, right? These aren't just JPEGs that I'm putting out, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, there's a, a sequence to them. There's, there's um, a flow and a reason to, to how they come out and when they come out uh, that is leading us towards an end, right? right. And so... Um, it's, it's, it was strange to start out something, you know, as, as any NFT uh, creative does, where you come in and you have to meet your first one and then see what happens, right? right. Um, I came in maybe with a very different approach from day one, and I, I had certain things that I knew had to happen for this to be able to become threesomes and become the entire project. But I said about having those things happen from the get-go, and when they did, then, then I just knew I could... I was, I had free reign. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I have a different background professionally than most of my peers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, where I, I have an understanding of some of these market dynamics and, and approaches that make a project like this feasible. Okay. Um, but, at the end of the day, it had to be an actual project for it to even matter or for it to, right. to draw, draw in collectors and draw in the, 
you know, I mean, where we are now, where people, we live in this, this project that's been created, right? I mean, hundreds of people, this is a part of their life now, right? And yeah. so even within the grotto then, within the collector community, Many people, it sort of takes them some time to actually come to appreciate and understand that it's a broader project. Most people come in, they see something from outside and they come in saying, oh, I like that image and I want, to be, I want to see what that is. Or I've heard some rumblings or what have you. And when they first get here, they, they have no idea of the interplay and the connectivity. And so some of our you know, most established and dedicated collectors, it took them months to really go, oh, and they would all have like a moment where they'd say, oh, now I get, now I get that these are connected. Now I see that this piece means something to a piece you released six months ago, and eventually is going to mean something to another piece down the road, right? So, so yeah, I it there's there's an interplay where I do allow it to be more fluid and and a part of the performance aspect of it. Right, is that I allow the collectors to to play a major role in how the piece evolves, right? But I still know where we're going, right? I mean, I know what the end of this story is. I know, I know what happens, <laughs> and so it's it's now the fun part of of creating the piece in step with all these collectors now. The journey, yeah. yeah, which really takes us through it all. So yeah, and would you say so? That the collectors are involved, do you view kind of your work as a more community oriented? Um, we don't. We don't use that word, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's not. It's not that I set out to build a community. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the the conceptual part of it, the conceptual art part, is that it takes. You know, I present a world, a universe that requires a collector to then step into it and take it on as reality, right? And so they, they conceptually have to get that that even though this is all imaginary and these are all, you know, fictional characters are right, you know, above, you know, right below the surface of reality sometimes, yeah. right? Um, they have to, to take that leap to the, that this is a new reality for us. Okay, and so they make commitments to that, whether it's time or finance or, or you know, <laughs> thought process or whatever. Um, but they make those commitments. At which point, there are natural communities that that are built out of that. And the grotto, of course, mm-hmm. my central, uh, you know, uh, Discord and, and where we meet and and the main term we use for the collectors, right? It's a culture. It's more of a cultural thing mm-hmm. than it is a community. But there are communities within it that sort of come out of it that are necessary for taking it forward. But ideally, they should all be building their own cultures more than just a group of people who interact together. But, <laughs> I mean, look, 90% of people, when they see my stuff and they, they for the first time, or even when they hear about me, they see the sales and they see all the, the movement around it don't realize that these are actual paintings, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, every single piece that I have out there, except a, a couple one-offs which which are noted as a digital representation of something, and they're mm-hmm. obviously, you know, an iPhone screen shot, right, or something like that. Yeah. Um, or an animated token which says, like, this was produced by somebody else, right? But everything is hand-painted. It's an actual painting. I mean, I'm sitting here in my studio now, like, surrounded by 
little baseball cards that are painted, right? And so it's right there. I mean, that we could stop there and say, I make actual paintings, which then are minted and put on the blockchain, right? And there you go. And that's a big part of it. That right there kind of, you know, that's a unique twist, except that's just a section. That's a fraction of it, yeah. There's there's so much conceptual art to it, uh, Mm -hmm. which is what I really love. I probably consider myself, I mean, I consider myself an NFT artist first and foremost, in the sense that I I feel that the NFT is my medium. Mm -hmm. It allows all of these things that we'll talk about to happen and to play out because of the blockchain and because of the smart contract. Right. Without those two things, I could I could have replicated the same thing. It would have cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars for the back end. Right. Okay. And the blockchain provides that. And the smart contract allows for all sorts of interplay um, that you don't have without a blockchain and and, and the ledger of activities throughout. Right. So. You know, I am an, wholeheartedly an NFT artist. I'm not an artist who came to NFTs. I came to be right. an NFT artist, right? Okay. Um, but, but I'm also a conceptual artist and performance artist and a painter. Probably in that order. NFT, conceptual <laughs> performance, and then, and then the painting. Which And I like my painting, and a lot of my collectors like my painting. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not an old master. Yeah. <laughs> um, so going off of that, could you take me through your creative process, like from start to finish? Oh, the start is me being a crazy, lonely nine-year-old, right? Yeah. Um, you know, initially the, 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 the core concept of the project is that this is an imaginary baseball league populated by teams who are whatever they're mascot is whatever their team name is okay because as a kid i imagine what it would be like if you had the giants actual gigantic beings playing against Mm -hmm. the tigers actual tigers right Uh, and and so on so forth and and that becomes me coming up with all these these different teams but in in this world now the roman catholic cardinali are roman catholic cardinali i mean these are Mm -hmm. they're priests and, and cardinals right and the subs are submissives and the cat moms are cat moms, just as it says, right? Initially, it's the, the, the conception of the team and why that would be a team. And it's not just, a, you know, and, and on the surface, it's a, a lot of it's funny, okay? A lot of it's, you know, but it, there's a lot of irony and a lot of satire there, okay? But as it fits into the whole piece, there's a reason that these teams are what they are, right? So I, I come up with the team and the player. I use actual original vintage baseball cards, predominantly from the 60s and 70s, um, some stuff from the 80s, some stuff from the 50s. I, ha- I, I have paintings which are not minted or not released or not part of this project necessarily from turn of the century, you know, early, mm-hmm. early 1900s. Um, but I take the original card and then I rework it and... Uh, at times, that's there's 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 certainly uh, work put in. Everything is painted, but but sometimes I'm really drawing an inspiration from the particular card, where it's a, a, a transformation of the original vintage piece. Other times, it's strictly a canvas, and I take it in a whole other direction. The collectors never get to see what's on the back of the card. They don't know what 
actual card is. The grotto loves to play, loves to try to guess and figure out. It's a, like a thing they do. But for me, there's a reason behind it, but that's just for me. That's not a part of the blockchain side of things. Okay. So I specifically that, choose. That's on your end. I specifically choose what I'm choosing um, for a specific reason. It might be aesthetic and it might be, you know, numerical and it might be, you know, whatever. Without going whatever, into that. Whatever yeah. comes Without going into that. But, but so, so then I paint them in gouache. I only use gouache. It's all I know how to paint in. It's what I taught myself to paint in. I do it wrong. It's not the way gouache is used, but I use it this way. And then I photograph it with my iPhone and I mint it. That's, that's the first step. But the, now we, now we, now it's an NFT and now we get to play in that. And so major part of the project is the way that I release them. Okay. The, the drop mechanic is, I mean, people are starting to realize that it's more and more like the piece. It's a part of what this really is. Right. I agree. Yeah. That's the, um, it, it because I don't feel that, that I, I don't, I really feel there are very few NFTs that have, we're even, you know, of all these millions of NFTs that have come out in the last few years, there are very few that needed to be an NFT to, to exist. Okay. And they don't, I don't feel that they take advantage of all that's possible with the blockchain. Okay. And I think that a lot of the way they're distributed, it leaves them open to manipulation and market manipulation and cheating and botting and scripting and what have you, um, which go down another path. And that's, that's something that I'm very against. Okay. And the project is, it speaks a lot to that. It speaks a lot to the to some of the imbalances of this space and some of the outlaw and and criminal nature of the space, right? And so my drops are meant not only to be very equitable and and safe for my collectors, right? But they tend each mechanic tends to be saying something about the NFT space itself. And so not only am I making it very hard for anybody to cheat and everybody to steal from within our community and, and take these things, which become worth a lot, right? I mean, you know, I sell my stuff very cheap and it sells very expensive, right? Yeah. Um, and so we protect all of that. So a big part of it is how you keep that safe. But because I, I couldn't, if, if, you know, we go back to my original stuff and that like first dot pigeon, which, you know, I sold for, for one Tez and it was selling for a hundred or 500 or a thousand or 2000 Tez pretty quickly thereafter. Right. And now it's 10,000 Tez. Um, if I just let the NFT speculative community get a hold of that stuff and run with it the way they would tend to, they would, they would dictate who has it and what they're paying for it and who has access. And it would change the whole dynamic of my, my project. It wouldn't be possible. So I had to close it down and, and keep it internal so that I could build it out at my pace to the right people with the right intentions and all those things. So the drop, the original drop mechanics are about that, but it's also about understanding that any of my pieces have future utility, right? I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, I play with that phrase a lot, but the idea not in some, buzzwordy reactionary sense but in the sense that i i want somebody anybody who buys one of my pieces it it should always either just simply be something they love and they set it aside fine okay now you gotta really convince me <laughs> that <laughs> baseball card of a guy wearing a gimp mask you know <laughs> whatever is something you truly truly love and don't care about any of the other parts of it 
But okay, so it's got that. Sure, um, I don't ever lead with that, right? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not arrogant as an artist. I'm very arrogant as an artist, but not in, just in the sense of I believe that my stuff should be revered and, and only paid for, and that's it. Give me your money, and then you get your painting, and that's it. I don't. I don't live that life. So I do believe that it should give you either access to something new, okay, that it should be able to evolve into another piece, or give you entree into maybe getting another piece or complement another piece down the road okay so it should have some interaction to it okay it should maintain what you spent on it which is very important to me i don't want anybody losing money okay in some wild goose chase so it should hold its value if not grow okay and i i work very hard to build out a market that does that and and it's a big part of it right so i maintain that value or you should flat out use it okay it should be seen as a utility token even though it's a painting even though it's it's what it is but it should you should have to decide at any time am i going to keep it am i going to sell it or am i going to use it and i want to i want that pressure and that conundrum there at all times with all my pieces because then that becomes a part of the fun is deciding you know there's going to come a time that the dot pigeon piece which is now you know sort of iconic what have you it's we're not far away from me telling people who own that all right you're gonna make the choice are you gonna burn it for it to become this other thing which would be even more scarce and rare than that one yeah yeah or are you gonna not burn it in which case you won't get that other thing and you hold it and you think it's gonna be worth more so I, i'll do that with everything i'll make everybody question it at some point and various points is now the time that I decide to let this thing evolve or do I keep holding out? And why, why are you holding out? This, this week we're doing some drops where I'm like, what, why are you here? What do you, what's your end game? What do you want to get? And so I'm really making them look at everything I'm doing. It's like, why do you want it? Why do you want to collect it? I'm asking that question over and over lately. So, so that's the process. The process is I, I, I come up with the idea. I paint it. I mint it and the drop mechanic then puts it out there and then it continues to evolve as it's introduced into the broader project and then called upon time and time again to put you in the position or are you going to keep it, sell it or destroy it? So you maintain lines of communications with your collectors throughout this entire process? I have been speaking to my collectors since day one. Everybody that bought the first piece, I DM'd immediately. And I said, let me know if you want to learn about this stuff. Many of them didn't because many of them were cheaters and flippers and (laughs) speculators and whatever. Okay. The first ones made it out into the hands of bad actors. Right. But we, we now got them all back. Um, But, but I started out just by reaching out within a week. I had a discord at the grotto where people come in. Now, I mean, I spend an hour, hour and a half, four days a week in live conversation with them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, do the podcast on Fridays, which is then catch up on that week, but also presenting some new ideas or some guidance toward the project or some more development of the narrative. Right. But there's a lot of communication there. All ever, you can't buy a piece of mine without having some sort of interaction with me through forms where I'm asking you to, tell me things right so i know all of my collectors i mean i i i I literally know everybody who has my pieces i know who they are i've talked to 
there's very few that aren't are outside of the collector community okay mm-hmm. but i talk speak voice to voice with a collector every single day and and usually a half dozen or a dozen today i've already spoken with two right um and then of course we get together which is now taking the performance aspect even further because I, I feel that there's all of that communication we just talked about is part of the performance is part of threesomes the character the persona living in that world right but then when i hand that off to them and i say okay now you guys are in this world with threesomes how are you going to what are you going to do with it right and then yeah. we get together and so seven times so far since we're coming up on a year uh, since October 31st of last year, but seven times we've had an in real life grotto event. You know, people have flown across the ocean to be a part of that, and people come from all over, and um, we we get together, and 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 so I've you know I I, I talk about this all the time, um, but the idea that I grew up with no friends because I was alone, I was isolated. I now, as a result of the thing I came up with as a kid, have more friends than I've ever had, and those are my collectors, right? Because not only do I talk to them every day, but I see them, and, and many of them who are upper-tier collectors that have really become a part of this, we hang out every chance we get. You know, I went to weddings already. In that regard, interaction with the collectors, is we, we've taken it to a whole other thing. We, we really sort of just exist together um none of them they all know me as threesomes none of them know my name if they if they saw my name incidentally on a credit card or something like that during in real life stuff they keep it to themselves you know um, i don't ever want to know their names nobody comes into the grotto like hi i'm alex no i don't want to, i don't want to know that we, we are our names within the grotto right but it's it's a major aspect of it and as 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 the franchise part of it where people are now taking the teams and running them as actual real life businesses and real life organizations, right? Um, that, that interaction, they didn't take it on themselves. And so that, that performance then carries over where I don't even have to be there and you have members of the project meeting up together in real life going out of their way crossing oceans okay getting together and and carrying forward the project without me being there and living an actual you know there there are certain aspects of the the cardinale of course are the most evolved and most organized where they they are completely independent and autonomous of the grotto even though everything sort of rolls back to the grotto and my project but they've they've built their own entire ecosystem and eventually that'll be done 24 times over, right? As you have 24 teams. We've only released eight of the 24 teams. And we're not even talking about the franchise side. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you know, but I mean, they, the owners of the teams paid me a lot of money to buy the names of those teams <laughs> conceptually. Yeah. It's, it's all conceptual. They don't own anything. There's no token even that goes along with it. It's just the concept. And yeah, they, they bought them. The concept, the idea. And they they run it. They they pay their employees. They pay their players actual pretend money, <laughs> you know, which is worth actual money. But the three penny is you know it's a part of the the conceptual art. Is I created an economy that drives this whole thing. 
it's really interesting to hear you speak directly about um, your entire process. It's it's really cool, and I, I will say it's it's very very different um, than anything that I've seen in the space. Um, and I can see the world that you're building and just the potential for it getting larger and larger. Yeah, it's there's, you know, in this space that is so money focused and money driven, and this veiled concept of community growth and huge amounts of people oh ape in and get you know we 20,000 people in our discord or 100,000 people or a million people whatever these huge numbers they talk about right I've I really eschewed that during the biggest part of the boom last year when when everybody was just throwing out these huge projects left and right I locked it down I wouldn't let anybody in Mm-hmm. We went six months where you couldn't come into the grotto without writing an essay <laughs> that would explain why you belonged here. And even then, it was I occasionally let people in, right? Um, but I was I didn't want that hyper growth because we were laying a foundation, which now that we've finished the foundation era and we move into the franchise era, the growth is here and it's coming. And as these teams, these organizations become their own thing, yeah, it's it's going to be an astoundingly large reach to the project. Even if just my part of it, even with the the grotto proper and my paintings and and all of that, I I, kind of keep trying to condense that because it's so, you know, for you to interact with my stuff, I really want you to care. Yeah. I want you to believe in me. I want you to believe in the concept. If you don't, I don't want you collecting my stuff, right? Because yeah. I need you to to carry it forward in a real mm-hmm. way. So I, I'm even now, I'm like, do you really want to play for a team? Or are you just here because of 100X, right? Like, <laughs> Right. Um, I saw the pieces that you sent over. Can you walk me through those and kind of your intention behind them sure so so the first one is the the paul russell dad to be right and so this was very early this was like the all told would have been like the 17th piece minted okay 18th piece minted something like that but it was the first that was not a part of a team so i started with the nfts team okay and then i had I had these, ins- we call them inserts, but they're not a part of a team. And so I portrayed this this man, Paul Russell, three ways. There were three pieces. It was dropped on Father's Day weekend on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay? And there are three pieces, all the same baseball card, but I painted him three different ways as he's pregnant. And I imagine him having, you know, a baseball card is basically a glorified photo shoot very often. Right, a baseball card is just a—it's a portrait of a guy <laughs> in a baseball outfit, and I imagined this pregnant man um, having his portrait taken. And by the third one, the last one, which is the one I sent over, because the first two he's clothed in different baseball uniforms, but the third one, I—I I imagined him in all of his maternal glory, like he's on the cover of a Vanity Fair magazine. So I actually—that's actually the pose that I took there is the the, um, the Serena Williams pregnancy cover. <laughs> okay, so I took basically Serena Williams' pregnant body and I put it onto 
to Paul Russell there and closed his eyes as he's looking to the heavens, uh, very full of his himself being a mother, right? To me, it, it's an important piece because it's the first time where my collectors got a real sense that there was a lot more going on here than just baseball teams. And Paul Russell then, that's his first appearance, mm-hmm. okay? But he's now been... We find out later that he's a member of the subs and he's a sub who's a junior high principal and he's wearing a cut off like gimp suit with nipple clamps, right? Okay, so we were like, when I dropped that piece, the grotto was like, oh my God, we can't believe it's dad to be. And here he is, he's a sub, you know, he's tied, yeah. up, tied up and he's got nipple clamps on. Then we see him later where he's shown alongside his brother. Now we know that his brother's in the ecosystem, okay? Then he comes out in breastfeeding, okay? Showing himself now with a toddler that he's breastfeeding as he goes, right? And so he becomes this this person who, now in real life, Paul Russell is a baseball player. He's just a big doofus ball player that played for like five years. Not important historically, other than his brother was actually better than him. But, you know, he, he's not. And I love doing that. I love taking somebody that is not Mickey Mantle, okay, mm-hmm. that, and, and making them, you know, sort of a mythic player. A lot, of the, a lot of the players' names, I remain unchanged from what's underneath them, okay? There's some that I change for narrative, but there are others where I, there's, these are ball players, right? And so to take Paul Russell and now make him sort of this this persona that plays in and out he's involved he's called upon during the murder mystery of last october the shana twitchell mystery right he's referenced there in was he involved in you know uh, he at one point we understand that he may have been married to shana twitchell right and so to take that it's to me i love the painting because it's goofy and fun and I, i like the painting but to make this thing, which now weaves in and out of the big narrative, you know, that matters to me, right? So that's, I think that's one of the important pieces. The next piece is, is a relatively new piece as far as minting. And you have to understand, my mints are not necessarily minted sequentially to when they were painted. Okay. Okay. They're sequential to whatever narrative I'm, narrative, I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, and at this point, I'm at like 770 mints in 15 months, right? Which is <laughs> ludicrous. But, um, but the, the, the Jim Pendleton from the Elephant Men, Elephant Men is my favorite team that I've painted. Something that most people don't, at a glance, even if they, if they kind of step in and understand, oh, okay, these are baseball teams and there's a lot of people painted and, and, and what, what on, right? They don't understand. They, they think, they assume it's a baseball team. Like, these guys now walk out on the field together and play together. But there, there are years that are associated with each one. So this is a 1953 Jim Pendleton. Okay? Later on, I'll have a 1989 in that same Elephant Men series. Obviously, somebody playing baseball in 1953 was not playing baseball in 1989. Okay? These are, these are little snapshots, little, little bits of the history of a very, like, a, a, a league that goes back in time. Right? So for me, with the Elephant Man, which is my my favorite, because I it's it's a very stark series and very it's a rough one. I mean, I, it's a very sad series to me. 
and yet it, it, it gives me great hope in that these 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 ball players that are suffering you know a, a syndrome that's, that's um, you know gives them a deformity and 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 you know the whole bit for them I, I imagine them stepping away for that for a moment they're you know seen as uh, you know freaks or stared at or or treated poorly because of their appearance but then when they're on the baseball field they're just ball players okay so that's that that to me is a very important point of the elephant man but if we look at jim pendleton we all the rest of the elephant men i paint them as they are fully okay but i imagined in jim pendleton that in 1953 that the public maybe would have been had decided that they weren't ready to see a team of elephant men playing Mm -hmm. and so i imagined that he would have had to have worn the burlap sack okay which at the same time then is the second time in the in the series that i make a reference to the david lynch film okay um and there's a lot of i I, there's a lot of cinematic reference in all of my pieces um as a part of 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 the broader project is what i'm what i'm really saying about about all this i do make a lot of cinematic trope references okay but specifically to reference elephant man and to do so and say like in 1953 he would have had to play in this burlap sack I just think it's a powerful piece, um, so that's that's why I went with that one, because it's it's a real glimpse into the depth of the narrative here, and it's not just a silly baseball card, <laughs> okay. Uh, and then the final one is is a threesies, which is my my generative collectible project, as in in reaction to the proliferation of the PFP and the and the collectible with the random traits and what have you. I, I conceived of of a different project to my project. I mean, it still is intertwined entirely, but a, a different subset, and it's minted on Ethereum, um, where it's generative, but entirely hand-painted. But I paint it after the purchase, after the code, after the interaction and transaction. So somebody buys the piece blind, that generates an operational transactional hash, which we run through our own custom algorithm that my dev and I came up with, uh, CryptoCactoid at Cactoid Labs. But um, we, we then assign traits randomly that all of the traits are all of the things I've already painted. Okay, so they, each trait is an element of a painting of mine from before. And... It, we don't know. It, we, underneath, it's the threesies character on the first 100, and there's another 100 coming out, which is a different character. Okay, and There'll be a 1,000 altogether as we do this. But I hand-paint each one after it's ordered, and I'm told by the algorithm what to paint. Mm-hmm. So I have, no, I have no opinion or interaction with it, except that once I get the data, what I'm supposed to paint, I paint it naturally to what how it would be. So the one I sent you, it has... A motorcycle jacket, which references the Loyal to Leathers series and the Leather series, okay? It has a mug shot, which is from the exes, from Steve Rogers, who was an ex-husband or boyfriend who is being arrested for a DWI in his, in his card. Um, he's got 3D glasses, which reference Richard, the, the developer behind Manifold, who has taken his CryptoPunk in 3D glasses and now turned it into his brand where he literally walks around and sat on a panel with me famously that 
that then of course the grotto memed. Okay, so the grotto <laughs> me- the grotto memed Richard sitting there in his three D glasses next to me, and then that became a part of grotto lore. So now it finds itself one referenced on its own painting. I painted Richard for the Coder series, but then it finds itself in threesies. So he's wearing those. And I think it's the 100 cap, which is from the very first insert that I ever did, the Astro Van Arsen. So it has all of those elements, which were, and a, and a, and a pectoral cross, the Cardinale necklace off the top of my head, right? So it has all of these elements, which are built from all of my paintings. And now, so that happens, you get your, you, it's finished based on that. It's hand-painted 101. Now you, you have that, and it has all of these traits. Those traits now, I call in. So right now you can we're 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 very close to where you then connect your wallet, take it out of your wallet, say okay burn off the pectoral cross, I'm going to burn my trait I'm going to trade in my trait for something in the Threesomes universe which would be defrocking your cardinali if you have the the cardinali trait you can then more easily defrock your cardinali which means you'll get a new painting of the reason that that priest is no longer in the Catholic Church why he was kept in. Okay. Meanwhile, I then go in and I take that original painting on that that threesies you're looking at and I paint out the cross if you were to do that. If you were to redeem the leather jacket, I would remove his jacket and paint him in. If you were to remove the the mugshot and if you remove the mugshot, then his hands would fall to his sides. He would alter, you know, if I took the glasses off, he, you know, it would change everything. So I repaint the painting when it's interacted with. And you can do that as long as you have traits. So the collectors get to decide what traits they keep and what traits they give up. And of course, this is the only way that you can get a physical painting of mine, because if you'd ever decide to burn the full NFT, I give you the physical painting. And so you can customize, basically. You can alter, you can communicate with me to tell me how you want me to change that, what you want removed to make it something that more aesthetically pleases you or tells more of a story for what you're trying to collect. So those are threesies. So that's why that one's in there because it's the first ever generative project that was hand-painted. And to me, it's the pinnacle of, of what an NFT can be, right? It's, yeah. it's all of the things that an NFT should be rather than just being a JPEG that's sold for money. It, it genuinely only can exist via the blockchain the blockchain itself gave birth to it. It told me what to paint. And then each interaction, which is noted on that blockchain, this was burned out. This trait was removed. And then I alter that piece. Um, I mean, this project in and of itself is pretty big deal. And, of course, we, keep, we kept it secret from everybody until um, Nifty Gateway. I, I did the second drop on Nifty Gateway as a part of my, you know, quarter million dollar drop this, this summer in the worst market ever right yeah. and so so then we the second round of threesies are sold on 50 gateway and we're we're getting ready to release those the paintings i've been painting them all summer that's awesome that's a that's a really interesting process yeah but. it's um it's it's i'm really proud of it and um you know it's one of those things that i, I mean i was first to do it i don't know if anybody i, I don't i haven't heard of anybody doing it since but but when when people start doing that, it's going to be fun to point back to to having been yeah, the first. Um, it's also a lot of work. Like it's a lot of work, and yeah, so I, I bet uh, that seems like a long. It's a long process. 
So what, how would you describe your art and what would you say kind of the purpose of, of your art is? Well, to give it the old art school uh, description, even though I didn't go to art school, but I can pretend <laughs> I did. Um, but what it's doing is it's, at all times, it should put a, a mirror up to, to whoever has it, right? Um, but in a broader sense, what it is, is it's a, it's a commentary on American nostalgia. Okay. And it's, for me, the idea of using the trope of the baseball card, which is as American a product as I think you can get from, this is what I was talking about earlier, with, from an external viewpoint, right? The, the cinematic trope of the, the kid in the suburbs with the bicycle and the baseball card in his bicycle spokes is has been used in movies forever to or or kids run into the drugstore to buy baseball cards in order to to show instead of sense of american innocence right mm -hmm. we still have baseball cards today which are almost exclusively a speculative play like the kids don't go to the corner store they don't even sell them there anymore right they, they don't go to the drugstore and then they don't put them in their bicycle spokes and they don't do any of these things anymore but it exists in this nostalgic sense. Now, mm -hmm. most Americans didn't have that idyllic or nostalgic upbringing and didn't even interact with baseball cards in that way. It was still just a small subset, but it was used as this trope. So in order mm -hmm. for me to make a, a, a satirical commentary on the American image and the American nostalgia, as seen from afar, I wanted to bring it through the baseball card. It's also why... Most of the teams so far, okay, can be pretty easily understood in an international scope. And oftentimes, like the monsters are cinematic movie monsters, American classic horror, right? As and, and they're recognizable elements of American culture, which most of the time I feel it's it's very ironic to then put them on a baseball card and lionize them or make them into heroes, okay? And so the idea that you have a submissive now who's, you know, collected and traded and people want to get him and look up to him, or Roman Catholic Cardinale and all of the evil they've done, or, you know, whatever, an NFT artist, for Christ's sake, right? The, the very beginning of the project is with the NFT artists, um, as heroes, right? Um, and so all of that to tell this, this, this narrative around American nostalgia and what, what is it, is any of it real? Did any of, was any of it merited to be held up? And especially when you look where we are, you know, contextually now in a global sense, I don't think it worked. I don't think that the, the American dream and, and all of this Americana that we love so much really worked. And so that's what the project speaks to. Um, and at the same time, like I said, on an individual level, now it's people that are in the project and, and participating in that. It really is a commentary um, on the space itself, on the NFT space, every drop and every mechanic, and all these things are very much to that. But also to just to who we are as a, as a people. Okay. As far as, you know, looking at the dualities for so many people, 
Okay, the idea that a submissive is also a junior high principal or is also something else by day, right? You know, the idea that the the Cardinale probably have done some atrocious things and we find out through their defrocking what they did, okay? There's a sort of two layers to every one of the teams, the way there's so much duality to us as a, as a person. And so, you know, to look, look at ourselves through the project, I think, really plays out. Um, I, I play with mechanics like voting uh, that are really about the class struggle, right? Where I, I give weight to those who have more against those who have less. And so trying to vote through a sort of a rigged system is very complicated and difficult. And I put that into play a lot. That's one of my favorite mechanics where I say, okay, the rich are going to have a very easy time voting for what they want and the poor are going to have a hard time. Go do that. Go live in that, right? And come together. And it's always set where the proletariat could come together and win if they coordinated against the rich, but mm-hmm. we've never really had that happen still, even in the project. So, um, you know, I, I like to, in the piece itself, in the, the broader project, um, to really sort of shine a light on on who we are and how we interact with each other, not as a community, as a culture. Again, that's the art school speak. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That's awesome. So what, uh, how would you kind of summarize what, what inspires your art? Like what, or is it, is it different for every, like, part or? It's, a lot of it is, there's a lot of autobiographical stuff to it, okay? Threesomes himself and threesies, my, my personas in the project, are very close to who I am, okay? Threesies is, is sort of the more radical, crazy, out there part of it, right? But, but threesomes is very close to who I am. So I, I like to think of threesomes as the best, the best of me. Okay. The, the subject matter is, again, a lot of it is autobiographical, but, but it's certainly things that I believe very strongly in. Okay. Um, I don't, I, I often say during my, you know, live performances, right, that I, I don't waste words, right? And, and I don't waste brush strokes either in that that i'm i'm telling there's a reason for every one of the pieces there's no throwaway piece in any of the stuff that i've done because it's it really should be taking us somewhere and i a lot of that is is i i have some strong beliefs in how the world should should work and i'm sort of inspired to tell that through building out this whole narrative obviously there's a lot of cinematic inspiration as i said i i I love uh, old films and I like to, I like the cinematics. So I like to reference that and sort of sometimes portray things and paint them in a cinematic light. Anything that's important to me finds its way in there, whether it's a, you know, Russian literature reference uh, in the Shana murder. You know, that whole thing was built around Brothers Karamazov and, and the Dostoevsky books that I love so much. Or references to, to the music that I listen to as I paint. Threesies, the, the idea of threesies being my alter ego is a reference to Little Wayne. Because Wheezy is Wayne and Wayne is Wheezy and Threesies <laughs> is threesomes and threesomes is threesies. And okay, so what's what's next for you? Like what are you Oh we're still we're still so deep in this that Yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> ne- um I mean there's 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 a lot in the just in the natural progression of the project. Um, yeah. you know, we've gone from 
as the as the the collector group and as the grotto has grown and the project's been able to expand, right? We've gone from dropping every week, mm-hmm. okay, to now. You know, our our last season was in a week in May and a week in June, okay. We're already in September, and we're we're not at a point where we're going to drop that next season. Seasons are now instead of being a week between each, they're now six months between each, right? Um, but as we do that, the six months is not idle. We, we have so many right. moving pieces and so many elements to it and so many reworkings of things and, and expansion of, of concepts that I'm just constantly working, constantly. And I mean, I, you know, just this summer, I dropped two new mechanics as commentaries uh, about the space. That was the trash can drops, which were, you know, speaking very distinctly to the the botters and scripters that really prey on those people coming into the test space in particular um, and some of the bad actors right who are really messing with the marketplace when that eventually affects the artist it was the first time I did a public drop in 13 months because I I've pulled all of my drops away from from public access because it turns out to be just like my trash can drop hundred people breaking rules and being very destructive to those around them. And so the piece is meant to, to capture that. And it, I wrote in the piece itself in the description that, that if you didn't follow the structure, if you didn't follow the rules, that you were taking this treasure and turning it into trash. And so anybody who broke those rules sits on trash and doesn't have any utility or access. And anybody who's playing by the rules gets, gets to participate in that project, right? So I basically built a blacklist um, of all of these bad actors through that drop. At the same time, I've got the girlfriend's drop, is, which is where I'm co-opting another project, which is sort of, I don't know, not really moving forward in the test space. Um, and I've taken that, I bought 100 of the pieces, and I built my own utility around those 100 pieces. I distributed them uh, to the grotto. And then um, we're, we're, we're building a whole mechanic and narrative around it that there are girlfriends. So these are the grotto girlfriends and you've got to keep your girlfriend happy. And so I, <laughs> I, there are all these elements where at a random time you have to go on a date and we decide what you have to do on that date to keep her happy. What you've got to spend, what you're willing to give up of your own collection, what you're willing to burn to keep your girlfriend happy. And what happens and without knowing what the end goal is, but are you, what are you willing to do? with my work in the simply for the conceptual because the piece that I've given you is not my work. Okay. Yeah. If you sell it to somebody else or give it outside of the grotto or anything, it's no longer my piece. It's the, it, it's not what it, it just goes back and reverts to being what it was. Right. So it's only what it is when I'm saying it's what it is. What are you willing to do to play in that world? And so, you know, I do things like that in between seasons Okay. The next, I have a a large, what we call a bulk insert drop, but it'll be a very, very high. I mean, it'll be an open edition. So maybe I sell one, (laughs) but chances are, you know, the last, the last open edition I did, I sold 90,000 editions. Right. And so this one we imagine will be more, but it'll be a wildly large open edition. And the drop mechanic that I've built around it, which will be a new drop mechanic is going to be, you know, a statement on 
on what's happening in the space. So I do those sorts of things in between the seasons where I release a new team. Okay, yeah. Is there anything that I'm missing or that you want to discuss or want me to include in the piece? No, I mean, I, I know it's I, I know it's tough to capture. I know there's a lot going on here. Um, you know, the one thing is that, you know, I, I, with the recognition of the not only being included in the, the Tezos permanent collection, but at that level, right, to be the highest, you know, price for an edition and to be included in the very first exhibit, which is that that to me was the most astounding part of all that. Right. Um, but I think I'm, I'm maybe being seen a little bit by the, the, the broader Tezos community, by the broader NFT community. You have to understand, I kept this from everybody. I didn't, I was in, I insulated myself in the project from everybody. I, I don't chase likes. I don't chase retweets. I don't, you know, I'm not into building follower account or anything like that because I only want people that want to be here. Right, that want right. to be a part of it, but as as we get seen, you know, very often I'll see my collectors. You know, I, I watch everything, I, I read and, and pay attention to everything. I might not comment or interact with it all, but I'll see my collectors mention me. You know, if somebody's asking, "Oh, who, who's a big Tezos artist or something like that?" Right, mm -hmm. and very often I get dismissed as gamification and utility. It's such an easy dismissal, I think. Because, look, I mean, the, the numbers are there. As far as individual artists go, I mean, either the top three or top four, depending on whose charts you're looking at. All time mm -hmm. on Tezos, right? So just say I'm, I'm a top four artist in the history of the Tezos blockchain. And I do so where most of my pieces sell for one Tez, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's an easy way to dismiss that that volume and that presence and that value and that market cap by saying, oh, it's a game. Oh, it's it's just a utility play. And, mm -hmm. you know, the fact is, I feel that I have one of the most robust art projects in the entire NFT space. And yeah, we kept it from everybody. We kept it secret from, from most people because I needed to protect those that believed in me at the beginning. And now that we're protected and now that now that we've done it, and we're sort of coming to light a little You're bit. You're established and safe. Yeah. Yeah. And so now, we, we're, now yeah. we're okay to talk about this. That's why I'm sitting mm -hmm. here with you, right? Because, you know, I kept it pretty secret from everybody. But now when, when we do catch a little bit of light and it's dismissed as gamification and utility, yeah. it's just, <laughs> it's, it's almost comical. It just yeah. means somebody is not, not willing to take a look at something that is so much more than just a JPEG, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm, yeah, I mean, that's basically what I'm just initially thinking, um, the focus on kind of really talking about your creative process, the narrative, the storytelling, and the culture that is established through this. Those are kind of my key focal points right now. And yeah. I think that I can really tell, like, the narration and the attention behind the work. And so people kind of get a really closer look at that um, because I do agree. I think that that's missing. And I like, I saw a comment though. Someone said about you, Oh, doesn't he just paint on like just paint on top of baseball cards, but it is, it's a lot more intricate and <laughs> detail oriented than that. But it's also, 
building something so much larger than individual pieces that are static. And the fact that you're talking about them growing over time too is, is something I think that's missing in the space as well. You're looking at the longevity and the life cycle of this whole project and moving it forward. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. That, that This summer has been my obsession with time um, and understanding, you know, it's pretty remarkable in, in, in 13, 15 months or whatever to like go from minting that first piece, having 12 Twitter followers, right? Um, and not even existing in this world, right? To, to you know, being very widely collected and very and somewhat known. It's pretty fast, which is what this whole space is, very fast. Mm-hmm. But what I tried to do this summer personally and for the project is to really step us back and, and, and not, not think, oh, wow, look how quickly we got here, but to look at, look how much time we have ahead of us. We're so, this is such a nascent period to where, we're actually going to be able to take this, and it's you know we're, we're you know not scratching the surface, but we're expanding out further and further and further, and that comes with time, right? And I I believe like my project will be going very strong in twenty years. You know I think this is a, a very all encompassing, broad and and long term project. Well, I think that's it for for me so far unless you have anything else no, that you want no no that's all if you if you're ever in new york and you'd like to come by the studio and see the actual paintings you know, please just let me know yeah absolutely sounds okay. good i really i i just want to say i genuinely appreciate all the questions i mean i've done a lot of interviews and they tend to be completely lost about what the project is and i mean i, I appreciate that you you open yourself up to to, to seeing it as much more than the baseball cards that sell for ten thousand tests you know yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I love this. I love doing this. I love interviewing artists and getting to know them. And I think that your approach and the narrative and story behind it is a lot more intricate um, than anyone that I've, I've talked to yet. And, you know, as a storyteller, like, right, that's my main goal is to tell your story in the best light possible so that people can understand you and your work better. So right. I'm really excited to do that. And I think that um, I- I'm really excited about this. I think this is going to be really good. And yeah, I-, I can't wait. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate it. I look forward yeah, to it. Yeah, thank okay. you so much. Have a great day. Take care. Yeah, that's a good DP. Great interview. Didn't you love that? So episode 33 in the books, this will be a place where we really start driving engagement for people to learn about the project, especially the art side of the project. Um, The podcast has been doing really well and we really appreciate everyone rating and reviewing that on, you know, Spotify and Apple music. Um, We're just going over some numbers with threes to kind of show them where we're looking at on uh, downloads and stuff and downloads are rising up all the time. We just had the best month ever in October. So riding high right now, any, any extra thoughts on those threes? Well, I mean, the, uh, you know, it, when you showed me those numbers uh, today, I mean, it's like averaging 300 downloads a month, right? Per episode, uh, yeah. Per episode, right? Um, you know, with a hundred, like a hundred between 125 and 500 downloads on, on any given episode. But this is the sort of thing, um, you know, we do have, a, there's a lot. We have LFGs. Not everybody can go to all the LFGs. Not everybody has a swipe, right? Some people just get us on on Mondays. 
Um, we've got Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, Thursday when we're in full season and stuff that, um, you know, I talk about a lot that's, that's pertinent to the project, but I kind of feel like the pod is where we really specifically speak to things. And if anything happened during the week uh, that, that mattered or that we need to walk through, we, we sort of wrap it up here, right? But um, I really feel like it's, it's you know, we have all, we, you come for the 100X and you stay for the friends, right? Yeah. But in order for you to get 200X out of your stuff and really develop and grow in the project and get the most out of it and understand the whys and the hows and the whats, right? I, I think that, that the podcast is sort of getting to the point where it's like required engagement. I mean, if you're not listening to the pod, then you become the guy who shows up in the middle of the week in the grotto and is like, oh, is there a form over the weekend? I missed it. Oh. Oh, well, I guess I'm not getting any pie. No, you're not. You're not getting any pie. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it, it's stuff like that where um, oh, time and time again, that's going to keep you, that's going to limit you from being able to really participate in the project. And as we just heard me talking with Steph, your participation is as much a part of the artwork as the paintings. And I get it that you, that a lot of you sort of see this as just this NFT revenue stream, which is funny because the huge bulk of the stuff that you guys have been involved with outside of, of, of threes has not been a revenue stream. It's been a revenue vacuum, right? Um, but in order to, to, to participate in that and to really take advantage of it and to make that possible, I'm counting on you being a part of the project and so you you know there's going to come times where yeah people who don't want to be a part of it and don't want to listen <laughs> like put put a little effort and work in you, you find yourselves outside the project in a hurry and it's a good time to applaud those new people who do come in and binge from the beginning and listen to every episode go back and catch themselves up there's such a, a wealth of knowledge in there about just the history. You don't feel like you're left out of the inside jokes and stuff. If you just go back and listen to the podcast, you know what we're talking about Magrado at that point. So it's a good yeah, way for new people to just catch up. Catch up. You, you can get up to speed. You can understand why we do things. Look, Ordrex is new. You guys signed him as a, an NFT, right? But he's a, a perfect example. This is somebody, you know, you don't, you don't, you can't, you don't, not everybody's going to come in with a deep wallet. But you can come in and be interested in the project and, and care and want to understand how things work and the reasons behind the mechanics, which we talk a lot about in the pod, right? Um, and, and why you might, you know, take one approach over another as you look at buying older pieces, right? And what you're going to collect and, and the why of, of why you're here. Um, but, you know, Ordrex is great. I mean, he's... Anybody comes in and gets a swipe and says, all right, teach me. How do I do this? And I know I've already heard that he, he's listening to all these pods. And, and, you know, going back to the beginning, the, cool. I mean, this is, we, we, those of us really in the project love it and have a lot of fun with it. And uh, the pod is, is an extension of that fun that we have, where we really get to sort of live in it 
for an hour and a half or so, right? Walk through stuff, explain why I do these things. I mean, listen to this, this interview we just did, or, you know, that we just played for you. Um, everything I do has a reason. Maybe you need to hear me say it outside of, of just being commissioner threes as a part of the league, right? But I suppose this is an art piece happens to part of that art is the economy that I built around it. And it happens to be something that is lucrative and self-sustaining and you can come in and you can, <laughs> you know, uh, you're going to be okay. Right. We talk about that a lot lately, but it, it starts with it, that engagement. And when we talk about engagement in this project, we're not talking about retweets. We're, we're talking about understanding and, and taking part in it. There really aren't that many projects out there, whether you're talking NFT or just art in general, where you get to live in the project and help make the outcomes as you as you play in it and live in it. All the storylines are dictated by how we end up playing the game collectively. And it's fun to see that play out in real time and then recapped on the podcast. Exactly. And, and expanded upon and walked through. If Look, there's a lot of people that are kind of shitty at playing threes. They really buy the wrong things at the wrong time, sell the wrong things at the wrong times. <laughs> Don't participate. If you really believe that you get to have all of the benefits that come with being in the threesomes project because you fill out a form, you're sorely mistaken. That's not what that's not what this is. It's not about just filling in a form. More and more, the people who just fill in forms are becoming irrelevant. It's about really creating a living, breathing art project. So enjoy it. Be proud of it. Be excited to be here. Enjoy listening to the two of us. I mean, there's a reason the Kitch is my podcast or my, my the co-host of the podcast because he loves this shit. And he's great at it. And it matters that we get to, you know, me and, and one of the guys who's playing along with everybody gets to chop it up every week. 33 weeks in the book. I mean, when we get to 52, that's a full year. He's, he's really good at math, too, and calendars. I heard it's called maths with a, with a plural, <laughs> and I hate I heard that. that a, heard that a lot during pie season. Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. Is that, a, um, is that a UK thing? Maths? Maybe that's what it is. I'll, I'll let them slide. UK Grotto is uh, really strong. They're doing the Lord's work right now. They really are. Thanks to Neil King Jones and Kristoff and Daddy V. Daughters and, and Orange Rex and anybody else I'm forgetting uh, who play by the rules. Um, yep, we know who you're talking about, that I'm talking about Orange Rex. <laughs> we know there's somebody that you know that doesn't play by the rules. But no, seriously. Uh, Love what, what's happening in the UK Grotto. I wanted to be there this week. I really did. Uh, I just wasn't able to make it happen. I also missed Cornholio that just got back from the first ever historic NFT conference or summit. I don't know what they called it exactly in Barcelona. Said it was amazing, life changing, like just the best conference I've ever been to. It's probably for the Sogs and Pepe's and stuff. All the the old school shit, and I really wanted to go. Uh, Dino and I were going to go. We just didn't. We uh, life sort of took a little detour. But um, but yeah. So week thirty three, we're done. 
Um, you know, it's isn't it Veterans Day weekend? It is. Yes. Uh, no, next weekend. I lied. Next weekend. That's fine. Whenever it is. Whenever it is. Hey, maybe you throw on a little marathon. Maybe you listen to 33 episodes. Uh, live stream it. Anybody that live streams themselves listening to 33 episodes of the pod, I'll make sure you get some special. <laughs> hey, guess what? This weekend, we're turning our clocks back, so there's an extra hour right there. Oh, you got an extra hour. Jesus Christ. Well, That's an episode. This is a good one. <laughs> I, I hope you guys like that interview. It, it matters to me, and I hope, I hope it really does sort of walk you through um, some of the reasons I do all this shit. Thank you, Kitch. Good to see you, as usual. And uh, I'll see everybody on LFG on Monday. Again, next week, just so we're clear, we're doing a Monday, Tuesday only. Dino and I will be returning from the real America when we have confirmed that the real America exists. Until then, we're just doing Mondays, Tuesdays. And I will, I, I'm on like a Spaces, I think, on Wednesday of next week with Artnet, because I'm an actual artist. Um, and uh, I'm, in, I've, I'm doing something with Fake Whale, because I'm a an actual artist. So you may hear my voice, but uh, in official LFG capacities, we're talking Monday and Tuesday. Awesome. Bye. See everybody then. All right. Thanks, Kitch. Laters.